From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The federal government has announced that a tiny town in South Australia will house the country's first nuclear dump. The decision has bitterly divided the community, with protests, hate mail and hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. Today, Royce Kermolovs on the question of where we store our nuclear waste and the future of rural towns. Two farmers in Kimber on the Eyre Peninsula have put forward their properties to house the nuclear waste dump. The longer it's there, the more jobs we have. This is the way I see it. I don't see it as being concerned. Currently, the waste is sitting in Sydney, where I think there's roughly 2 million people that live within a 20k radius of it. There's about 100 people that live within a 20k radius of this. So, Royce, when was it officially decided that Kimber would be the place for this nuclear dump? So just over a week ago, the uh, then Resources Minister, Matt Canavan, released a press release. It was a Saturday morning and the press release basically described how Kimber had been chosen as the location and specifically the property owned by the family of Jeff Baldock would be the site where the facility would be built. Royce Kermelovs writes for the Saturday paper. And his son, Andrew Baldock, who I spoke to, was uh, pretty happy about the decision. I find it amazing that we're going to be involved in this and that Kimber's going to play a part that we're going to be linked to Australia's medical treatment and and the research side of things, and we need it. He sees this as a, a symbol of hope for the town. He believes that it will ensure Kimber's future. I reflect I moved home originally in the, in the mid to early 2000s and we had a terrible run in the millennial drought and I left and vowed I'd never come back again. But we've just seen a steady decline over time, um, which hopefully this will put a, put a halt to it. It'll be quite exciting to watch it happen out in the back paddock, but, and they'll have construction of a, of a facility worth in excess of two, three hundred million. So, Royce, tell me about the town of Kimber. Yeah, so Kimber's a town in South Australia. It's not a very well-known place. It's not a very big place either. About 700 people live there. I mean, if you throw a dart on the map, you'd never hit it. It's about a five-hour drive northwest of Adelaide, um, sitting on the Air Peninsula. It's also a huge agricultural community, so its primary business is growing food. And lately, the place has been struggling. It's been in a drought for the last three years, which has meant people have had to uh, look for something else to kind of shore up their livelihoods and try and find something a bit more stable to depend on as the seasons break down. So nuclear waste could be a solution then, but what is it exactly that would be stored in Kimber? So while Australia doesn't have any uh, nuclear power itself, we do have a nuclear research reactor at a place called Lucas Heights in Sydney. We do rely on nuclear power as part of medical research and applications in terms of radiotherapy, and this stuff generates waste, as with any nuclear process. And this waste comes in different forms. Sometimes it's low-level waste in the form of, you know, gloves, gowns, equipment that's been irradiated. But then it can also be intermediate-level waste, which is much higher. It's the kind of stuff that gets used in nuclear reactors and it's a much more of an industrial product. And currently, this stuff has been left sitting on sites around the country and it's been left to kind of build up, sometimes in car parks, sometimes in sheds and warehouses. So the government has essentially been looking for a place to store this for nearly 20 years now. The first attempt started 
when the Howard government was looking for a place to store intermediate level waste and settled on Woomera in South Australia, that proposal didn't really go anywhere when South Australia banned the storage of nuclear waste within its borders in 2004. And since then, other sites have been proposed. The question of where to permanently store Australia's nuclear waste has felt about as radioactive as the material itself. There was an attempt, for instance, to, to store uh, nuclear waste on a site in the Northern Territory, but that buckled on, in the face of a lot of opposition from Indigenous communities who, you know, rightfully didn't want this on a, a land that they share a close bond with. For nine years we fought the federal government on imposing nuclear waste dumps in the Northern Territory. We begged you to talk to us on country, and you never did. Well, guess what? We whipped your asses. And in recent times, the proposal to build the nuclear waste dumps returned to South Australia. In the last few years, it then zeroed in onto Kimber specifically, where much of the focus has been. Okay, so how did people in Kimber initially respond to the idea of there being a waste dump in their town? So it, it, this, this has been a five-year process. And initially, the people of Kimber were divided. The idea of putting a, a radioactive waste dump in the middle of agricultural land scared people. So there were two votes to, that were taken within Kimber on this issue. And the most recent vote on this was taken in November 2019, when 60% of the community said that they would be in favour of building a facility in their town, while 40% said they would prefer it not to be. Depending who you ask, there, it is a contentious subject because this vote did exclude people. It excluded the Bangala people, who are the local indigenous people. It excluded certain people who might have been neighbours who have been beyond the boundaries of the town. And in doing so, the opponents say, well, it's not quite inclusive of everyone's opinion and the people who should be taken into account weren't. Myself as a Bangala person, it's sad that we were given back our land only to be told that we don't have a voice, we can't say anything. As this conversation has progressed about what to do, it's gradually turned toxic. People have been reported being sent hate mail, um, being given death threats, having arguments in pubs or over the dinner table. You've come down here and you've totally tipped this community upside in. The stress, the anger, the division is there. I still think um, the town's split in half and I don't know if we'll ever get it back. It's divided friends and family and, and relationships. Some people will even cross the street rather than you know, have to engage with someone who disagrees with them on this issue. The announcement has led to hundreds of people protesting on the streets of Kimber. The job of this department was to find the most appropriate, appropriate location, which does exist somewhere in Australia. But we're telling you now, Minister Kennebean, that it sure is not Kimber. We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like, you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then, like, the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 
So, Royce, we're talking about Kimber, the town that's been selected as the site for a nuclear waste dump. What is it specifically about this this waste that people in Kimber are worried about? The people who are against say, hold on, we're not exactly opposed to the low-level nuclear waste, but this intermediate-level stuff is much more potent and much more problematic. And the timescales this is operating across are beyond human comprehension. We may be around for 100 years, but the material itself may be around for potentially thousands. One of the biggest concerns is the idea that this is the thin end of a wedge. The idea being that if you put this material within Kimber and you start off with something low level, over time, someone will get the idea to scale up. The facility will be expanded and then other forms of waste will be moved to the site. Okay, so is the federal government doing anything to try and address locals' concerns? In short, the federal government has been promising a whole lot of money. So in order to kind of build community support and to try and get people to agree to this, uh, like $55 million has been spent trying to educate people, essentially. This is a program which includes arranging visits for a group of mayors from France in the Champagne region, where similar facilities operate, to come to Australia to talk about what happened there. People have been flown from Kimber to Lucas Heights to have tours of the facility and see how it operates. People have had lectures in the, you know, the science of nuclear physics. So people have had to learn a lot about this to kind of assuage some of the safety concerns that they have to deal with. And then there's the Community Benefits Programme. So the $31 million community benefits program is on top of the $55 million that's already been spent to convince the community to, to embrace this opportunity. And it's also on top of the uh, couple hundred million dollars that is going to be spent to actually build the facility itself. The catch is that for this money to be paid, the facility first has to be built. So you don't get that money if the facility doesn't get built at all. Okay, so if the facility is built then, and obviously the government has now acquired the land for it, and this extra $31 million does come to Kimber, what would it be spent on? Primarily, it's going to be used to build infrastructure. So things like a new school, GP clinics, that's anything the community wants of of infrastructure nature, stuff that they probably should have already had. It's a lot of money for a town of 700 people. And some of the people within the town have said that maybe this isn't the best idea. I spoke to Barry Wakeland, who was the former Liberal MP for the area, who has come out actually against the proposal. His concerns were the way this process has been managed from the beginning. And one of his objections has been the amount of money that's been spent. Um, We are told over the last four years it's between 40 and $50 million. And we have no detail on that whatsoever. If you need that much money to convince Timber that it should take it, you have to ask the, the other question, why? The other side of this as well is that the people who have been critical see a lot of money being offered to people to sway their views that has deeply divided a town which is facing drought and is looking for a way out. And there's no interest in that people whatsoever other than throwing money at them, hoping they can be bribed. And uh, I think it's a disgraceful way to run, uh, run our affairs because... So the hostility... Within the town has grown so deep, some like farmer James Shepherdson have said that they're already thinking about leaving. They don't see how the hostility can be overcome. I'll be thinking very seriously about um, selling my farm and moving my family to a community that's far more cohesive. Um, there's just classic examples of, of division here. You see it every day. It's, it's, it's very, very sad because... James Shepherdson describes the fallout from this very bitter discussion within the town about whether to have this 
facility built as something that has hit them personally. James's mental health has suffered and he's experienced social isolation and he feels ostracised sometimes from the community. I, I can't I can't view it as anything but bribe money. I believe there's been a, a plan to um, to target a small community that is very tight-knit. We've been through a lot of turmoil previously. With um... So, Royce, Kimber residents are obviously facing a really difficult decision here about the future of their town. Broadly speaking, what do you think that this tells us about the dilemma that's at the heart of a lot of regional Australia? In many ways, it's a hyperlocal story of a conversation that communities around the country are having, especially in regional Australia. And in other towns and other places, this may be a conversation about a coal mine, about an iron ore mine, about some other major project. And we're seeing this play out again and again and again. Many are already facing the effects of climate change, the effects of droughts. Many towns are having water trucked in. Many are watching as the climate that they've come to depend on for so long shifts and the crops they used to grow no longer work in that environment. And many are looking for a way out. In a lot of ways, it's come back to a devil's bargain. When the federal government comes knocking and starts offering a lot of money to set up a facility that promises, at least on the face of it, stable long-term work, that option starts to seem very attractive. But then that also needs to be balanced against the long-term consequences. For At least for the people who oppose it, you're still dealing with a product that is fundamentally toxic, that is has a long lifespan, that will be here for a very long time on a scale that humans can't comprehend. Royce, thanks so much for your time today. Ruby, thank you so much for having me. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Also in the news, there are now 175 confirmed cases of coronavirus among the passengers and crew of the Diamond Princess cruise ship, which is currently docked in Yokohama in Japan. The number of Australian passengers who've been infected has risen to 15. However, all are reportedly recovering and in a stable condition. And all four of the prosecutors involved in the criminal case against former Donald Trump adviser Roger Stone have resigned after the president criticised the sentence that they recommended. Stone was found guilty of obstructing justice and witness tampering. The Justice Department prosecutors recommended seven to nine years in prison, a recommendation that President Trump criticised as a miscarriage of justice. Additional reporting for today's episode was by Elle Marsh, our features and field producer. Elle's position is supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Additional audio from Kimber is by Kim Mavromatis and the ABC. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.